नमस्ते वन ऑफ द कॉमन साइट्स विद विच मैनी ऑफ अस हु केम टू पॉंडिचेरी इन द एटीज नाइन्टीज इवन टू थाउजेंड अप टू टू थाउजेंड टेन विद विच यू यूर फैमिलियर वॉज इफ यू वेंट टू गणेश टेम्पल आई हैवेंट स्टेप्ड इन साइड बट इफ यू वॉक दैट वे यू वुड सी दिस एलिफेंट शी एलिफेंट Lakshmi huge quite a formidable creature standing there and she would take some whatever people offered and in return she would bless with her trunk and every time i passed by i wondered i mean i knew the answer but i marveled more than wondered that look at her she is uh, one doing something which is not a natural instinct or natural habitat second she is apparently enslaved to a creature who is far less in terms of strength which is man and she is just obeying man and of course every time i marveled at her i also marveled at the way human nature operates and how we become tied to a certain um, i mean in a certain sense everything in creation is habit not just human beings but to patterns patterns of movements nature is movement but nature moves in certain patterns along certain grooves and thereby it binds us to move along those grooves it's like when you spin something in space it follows its own course unless something greater deflects it changes its course alters its route so this is the basic principle of habit formation now this is required this is required because that's how the balance of nature is created creation is very diverse with all kinds of objects all kinds of creatures and there has to be some way that they remain constrained or limited to whatever they are meant to serve some purpose they serve in the grand plan so one has to look at Uh, habits as patterns of nature the first thing that we look at habit is patterns of nature who create these patterns nature creates these patterns so why does nature create this pattern how can nature create this pattern so because nature is a conscious force so she creates pattern and this pattern she can create large variety of patterns there is a very nice uh, beautiful line in savitri in in shubhendra's poem who the hand that sent jupiter spinning through heaven spends all its cunning to fashion a curl so even where the pattern seem to break and join break and join even that is a pattern so ordinarily everything in creation is bound by certain patterns but nature always has a certain key like a loophole it deliberately leaves a loophole even there there is a purpose just as we use the word waste but there is nothing called waste in nature everything is used every cell of body every aspect even what we call as waste is used by nature in a sum total of possibilities for something else so it uses it leaves a little loophole and that loophole is called asymmetry so you know it creates symmetry at the same time it creates a little bit of asymmetry somewhere some possibilities there now why does it do it because it is through that door that evolution takes place so both things we see in nature fixed patterns fixed grooves at the same time it shows us a way out of this fixed group and that way interestingly is not operating at the same level but evolving through some door which brings in a kind of temporary asymmetry in uh, in the working of nature within us Uh, we'll talk about it at length maybe in the last one how to use that what is that asymmetry element within us how we can use it for our evolutionary purposes but first step is that nature binds all material phenomena in the material universe by sheer pattern which become habits and the beauty of this habits is it's a very delicate balance of forces through which it creates habits so even habit if you try to stray away from it your own existence is threatened so it preserves that's why in indian thought brahma creates but the moment he creates everything has to be sorted out and placed in certain rhythm certain order certain pattern 
So that rhythm, that pattern which keeps everything interconnected in its own place, preserves it in that place is, uh, you know, attributed to the Lord Vishnu. And he does it on the basis of dharma. Dharma originally means, one of the meaning of dharma is that. That which holds creation in a very fine, delicate, beautiful balance. But then, there is the third deity, Shiva. So what Shiva does? Shiva breaks the patterns. He breaks the habits. He breaks the tendencies. He breaks the fixed. He can break the entire material creation. So it, it seems by his dance. So we have these three forces simultaneously acting in creation. One is things which are new, which want to come. But immediately they have a tendency to crystallize into fixed patterns. Because that's how creation is preserved. It has its own place. And then the third power which breaks these tendencies and patterns for something to allow something new to emerge. This is the fundamental thing going on in the entire creation, the entire material universe. But while material universe is completely bound by these patterns, more or less completely bound, in life creations, we see some degree of freedom beginning to emerge. So there is a tendency for learning and adaptation by learning. So that's what was the example of Lakshmi, um, the elephant, that while she is a creature of the wild, she has been trained and taught and she has learned to stay where she is. And if you see, you know, when I used to see this, I went into how they train elephants because I used to wonder how, I mean, I had heard that the Mahavad sits and he puts a little rod and the elephant, but it's not as easy as that. So I, I realized that in the beginning, they when they train an elephant, they tie the leg to a um, thick iron chain to a very strong iron, um, you know, uh, some rod which is stuck to the ground deep enough. And then the elephant is through reward and punishment trained um, to stay at its place. Then as the training proceeds, they open the chain. But the thing is, elephant stays where it is. It has now learned a behavior. So as animals come, that means we can retrain ourselves. There is a possibility in life to retrain, to entrain, to completely you know, change a pattern and begin with a new pattern. Of course, it will still operate in pattern, but it can break the original initial pattern and a new pattern can be created. So people who say that behavior cannot change must understand that, well, we see all the time this behavior cannot change is not true. But when we talk about training, it's largely a mechanical process. There is no inner change, but there is a mechanical process that takes place through which behavior can be changed. We see it in zoo, the tigers, I mean the lions sitting, you know, all along. Oh, seven, eight, nine lions. And there is a lion master, ring master, who trains them and they don't eat. Uh, very interestingly, they don't do it with tigers. I have not seen in a zoo. Because there are certain things which can be trained, certain things cannot be trained. Tigers are very, you know, they combine the strength of a lion, possibly a little stronger, with the cunning of a cat. So very difficult to train those fellows. They immediately know. They get the wind of it and they know how to do things. So this is how in life these patterns emerge. They can be retrained. This is a capacity given to man. And at third level, I mean to all living creatures, we see how crows do it. You know, I just heard about crows. You know, how they can completely using their intelligence bring new things into existence. So crows have crow committees. It's not a joke. I had once seen a picture of many crows sitting together and I clicked a photograph and I jokingly had posted that crows in a meeting because I always felt that conferences and meetings are like, you know, crows are sitting and discussing things. So... But then within 3-4 days, I got a very interesting, um, naturally crows must have taken a bit of either an offense, so they must have been very happy that yes, we are as intelligent as human beings to meet. And I realized, I learned that crows actually do conduct meetings and if a human being has been very nasty toward them, towards one crow, he'll go and communicate to the entire crow community and they actually haunt you. Whereas if you have been very kind to them, they even can give you reward. They'll bring things and give you. So this was something like a new learning. So this whole idea of learning, relearning, breaking from the old learning is a very, very much, um, you know, phenomena that emerges with life. Uh, which, of course, we, we inhabit all these uh, 
and we inherit the material nature's complete bondage to habit we also inherit life's uh, capacity to adapt by new learning that's how all evolution has proceeded if there was no new learning possible in life there would be no evolution at all but then added to it comes mind with man there is a little more freedom so we see that the journey is from bondage towards a greater freedom now mind's capacity is phenomenal actually we hardly explore it because we are again here there is the physical mind which tells us this cannot be done so again something which physical mind is the mind which is very much connected with the material universe so it is physical mind is that which receives data through the senses and is bound by a certain pattern of habit which is purely related to the physical mind so but mind is meant to soar beyond so mind uh, out of physical mind and the data of a very mechanical universe it begins to imagine now in imagination you can do anything so people often say you can imagine these things but it's not possible but that's not true imagination is the first impulse to escape from the fixity of the physical mind by which it fixes things in a certain way they move in certain way and this physical mind is again not just in man even in matter it operates as the material mind that's what builds forms which are fixed in creation so this physical mind has this uh, capacity to bind things to a groove and it gives us this belief that things can be done only this way and no other way but then the imaginative mind comes and breaks it says at least in imagination i can do my way and then comes rational mind it says okay you are climbing too high so clip the wings this is possible this much is possible this much is not possible but this is the ordinary range of the human mind but the human mind is operations of which we are not even aware and once we tap into that then nothing is really impossible so for example um you know people who i'll give two three examples of how things can change so one is um, uh, you know there there was a study which was conducted uh, or even before that hypnosis hypnotic phenomena so those of us who are conversant with hypnotic phenomena i have um, kind of been trained in it but i don't like to do hypnosis because hypnosis is putting somebody else under your will it should never be done so nobody is right to you know will is too secret a thing to be <laughs> ever taken nothing should be put in under anybody's influence except the divine but as part of the psychiatric training so i am aware of how hypnosis works but the beauty of hypnosis is you can actually make the person do certain things which he would not ordinarily do for instance lift the hand now usually after some time you'll feel tired you will want to you know keep it down but in a hypnotic state even in certain states of catatonia catalepsy you can maintain a posture for hours it's just not imaginable how you are doing it and it's just based on the power of suggestion it can be done therefore you can you you know the mind suggests and the body obeys so ordinarily in human beings it is the body which governs body consciousness but as we evolve the sign of an evolving humanity is that the body does not govern us but the mind and the vital govern the body even ordinarily the human body when driven by the vital can do things which ordinarily uh, seem very abnormal you know people have kept awake um, even youngsters nowadays i don't know how they manage it they sleep at 2 o'clock and wake up at 8 and they go about now this is not something which Uh, i can imagine you know at our age we, we never did this but how because largely it is the vital overdrive for various reasons sometimes just by the power of the mind pressure of the mind too many meetings i mean and your mind can do it beyond it there is a still greater consciousness which can completely overpower the mind and re- reset the whole balance i mean i am aware of i mean recently i was reading it was a marvel um, i am mentioning this as an instance not as a political thing uh, but i was just listening to our finance minister jay shankar's one small little clipping and he said you know we went uh, in five days to five countries and um, uh, we had some in almost 36 hours total 23 meetings at one point of time and they were just resting at night flying at night and then in the morning the moment and he says when we got down after a long hectic trip where they were traveling by night and meeting in the morning 
And when they came back to India, they had 23 meetings lined up within the next 36 hours. It was just amazing. Now, how could one do it? Ordinarily, if I have to think and plan and do it, I would say, no, no, it is too much. So this mind which fixes the limits can actually undo the limits. This capacity is there in human beings. But of course, this is not to say that we should keep trying all kinds of things. But there is a possibility of higher and higher consciousness to be able to do it. So basically, when we see the evolutionary journey, it operates at several levels. But we see at the lowest level, consciousness is completely lost and bound by the form. Whatever pattern has been created by the material mind, physical mind, it just obeys it blindly, mechanically. So you will see a whole set of humanity which blindly follows. It just believes that this has happened, this is how it it is going to happen. But as we evolve, there is a certain degree of freedom which follows the steps of evolution. So when we look at things in this way, I was talking of another example, how the mind can operate and you know change things even at the most material level so this is a well documented study so ordinarily when you know people have this malignancies or certain uh, you know autoimmune disorders you give immunosuppressants one of the things not so much for certain types of malignancy but more for autoimmune disorders you give this you want the immune system to work at a little lower level otherwise there is a problem the body's immune system is destroying itself so, uh, you know, they gave this particular drug to one group, which was methotrexate, which is known to depress the immune system. And to another group, they gave uh, just saccharine. Now we don't have saccharine, but it used to be used earlier as artificial sweetener. Now we have other artificial sweeteners, none of which is good. Probably a little dose of sugar may be less harmful than taking them. But anyways, uh, they took this saccharine but they were told that you know this is going to this is the original drug and this is going to suppress your immune system and you will get well and the interesting part was that they actually had the suppression of the immune system now it's not just that you know their pain vanished or by the placebo effect even the very cells of the body were responding to this strong suggestion and i remember once one place where mother said about cancer you know shobindo passingly mentions that cancer can be cured by suggestion. They never regarded cancer as such a serious thing as we have made out it to be, made it out to be. But there were other things which were far more serious and painstaking from a yogic point of view. To cure a skin disease, to cure a simple thing like toothache, is far more serious because these organs are uh, impervious. And yet we realize that in everyday practice this doesn't happen. Why? Again, because mind, thought is tied up in a way of thinking. So habits are not just physical things. Normally we think habits means, uh, okay, it's like certain characterological things. People drink, so it's a habit. People smoke, it's a habit. Well, everything is a habit. Is eating a habit? Yes. We can debate whether it's good or bad. Is drinking water a habit? Yes. But this habit is keeping a certain balance in this creation. This habit is helping us to survive. If the habit of drinking water is lost, as happens in certain conditions, people get dehydrated without realizing that they are getting dehydrated because they are not able to uh, experience thirst. That is one of the problems with air condition and other things. It takes away their normal patterns by which we tend to feel thirsty and drink water. So everything in a sense is a habit. There are habits of the physical. Now if we try to categorize them, habits which are purely related to the physical physical body and these habits are inbuilt by nature and there are a means of preserving the um, individual. So they are not bad or good. They are, they are helpful to preserve, them, preserve uh, things. But because the life can introduce new things, it often breaks this pattern and introduces new things, which is actually very often worse. And mother gives this interesting example that in an animal, you make a monkey try to drink alcohol. And they actually did this experiment. So he tasted. He didn't know it is alcohol. So he tasted it. And after that, when the next time it was, you know, they tried to pour, he picked the glass and threw it at the fellow who had actually poured. 
But with human beings, it doesn't work like that. Very often, people become slaves. They can form new habits. And that's where we realize the danger of habits that comes in. Nature forms habits only to preserve a species within certain limits. The problem of habits as far as nature is concerned and the physical body is concerned, it also limits us. But this limitation in ordinary life, ordinary circumstances is, though it is counter-evolutionary, it is helpful to keep us within limits. So habitually we go to sleep, habitually we wake up. If everything we had to plan, heartbeats are driven by habit, breathing is a habit. Everything actually if you see, including if you see they are all built by rhythms and patterns. Even disease and health. So in astrology they actually see it and I have seen myself that you know there are phases in life when you are so prone to diseases. You try to control one, another comes. You try to control the second, third one comes. Like a pattern. And then there are phases when suddenly everything is quiet. So it's like a pattern which comes. Day and night, it's another pattern. During daytime, a certain kinds of thoughts will come to us. Nighttime, another kinds of thoughts will come. So nature has done this to create a certain kind of balance. The forces that act, they act in a certain measure. But with the coming of life, there is something else that happens and we start breaking free from these habits of physical nature but end up creating other habits. Very often, which are worse because the vital nature is prone to desires. It is ignorant. So to ignorance when we add desires. Physical nature is ignorant and obscure. It doesn't know of any deeper, higher possibility. You tie things in a physical way, it will follow that pattern. To undo it is very difficult. That's why they say that what physical remembers, it remembers almost for lifelong. So you learn typing in a certain way and if the keyboard changes, it's so difficult. That's why they keep standardized practice, you know, it's very difficult. Uh, so even phone, I remember, now you start typing on phone and you know, you are given suggestions and the habits when you write with the pen, it, it becomes a little difficult because we are now getting used to language in a certain way. So, there is this vital nature which uh, creates this problem. Then there is the mind which can further fix limits by its ifs and buts and do's and don'ts and tie us up further. Let's take a concrete example. In human beings, ordinarily, our body reacts automatically to certain pathogens. Let's take illness for example. Take for instance alcohol. So, people drink alcohol, they will vomit. You smoke, you will cough. So, body knows it's harmful. So this is, you know, body has this instinct. Now if you lose this instinct, because the vital says, oh, it's cool to smoke. It's good. You must, you know, what is wrong with drinking? I myself remember, you know, I was brought up in a very strict, uh, um, not strict that way, very, but a disciplined Brahmin family where drinking was like, a, as if you have fallen from the skies and gone down. and <laughs> So... I, I didn't drink, though I had very, like, it was based on later a conscious choice. And yet, my teacher, good person, good human being, so I used to idolize him. All, all of us used to idolize him. Very nice person. Excellent doctor, nephrologist who would talk to patients. So everybody used to, but he had this, uh, okay, Sham ko do peg chada liya to kya hua? So, you know, one of the evenings on a particular party day, he said, why you don't drink? What is there in taking one or two pegs? What is there? In army, everybody drinks. So I said, okay. Independent mind, liberated individuality. <laughs> so I took one or two pegs for two months. I was hooked up because it went into the system in a very different way. It started rocking my system without realizing it. Rocking, no, knocking my system. <laughs> so, <laughs> together, rocking and knocking the system. So, now you see, the vital corrupted the natural instinct. The natural instinct was to not to take it. And it was inbuilt. I was programmed like that. But when I broke the programming, it created a difficult situation. Because now, you know, that suddenly that lid was removed and the vulnerability came up. So, normally, ordinarily, if left to... The body itself, the body has the sure instinct of what we should do and not do. Often parents complain, my child doesn't eat or it eats only this much. Uh, of course, sometimes a very funny story because somebody said, my child doesn't eat vegetables. 
So I took it this way that the child is naturally not feeling the urge. So I said, children have a natural urge, so it's okay. Don't worry, they will um, let the child's instinct stay. So after 5-10 minutes of saying, he says, you know, the child doesn't eat vegetables because we don't cook any. Because I said, now this is a complicated situation. I have no solution for that. So you have to cook and then try. So basically... That's how the physical consciousness operates and the vital tends to corrupt. Mother says there are sure instincts in the body. Then to this the mind comes and mind comes with dogmas and beliefs. So you know, you have this idea that if you take this, you will fall sick. In so many times I have heard, Ek khatta kha liya hai, dahi kha liya hai, dudh pi liya hai, ye kar liya hai, wo kar liya hai. So I have to tell them, see, already life is pretty complicated. <laughs> Don't complicate it more. <laughs> it's okay. Some reasonableness is okay. But if you start eliminating everything from your diet, chini khayega to diabetes ho jayega, salt khayega to blood pressure ho jayega, khatta khayega to gala kharab ho jayega. So phir khayega kya matlab you will end up with eating a blind diet and even that doesn't help because you need a certain amount of salt you need a certain amount of everything in the system so mind comes with a strong dogmas and further binds us so if we try to understand the formation of habit it operates at three levels and now we can go still deeper into it the body with its obscurity within which there is an instinct which operates normally so in the obscurity of the body nature has been very merciful and intuition has come as instinct. The instinct is very sure sign. It operates. And that instinct operates in animal creation, plant creation wonderfully. Until human being eats the fruit of knowledge and corrupts that instinct. But at the same time, body is very obscure. So for preservation, it is the material. That's why we see form made of physical. It preserves. It will... the. The heartbeat, it is programmed, it will go on, genetically programmed to go on, God knows, till you know, 70, 80 as per the average age in Kalyug. And uh, then, of course, despite so much that we mistreated, yet it continues like that. So it is a very helpful thing. Yet, if the body has to evolve to some new capacity, it is a very big burden, very big hurdle. Because in the body, when things get fixed, it is very, very difficult to undo it. That's what probably many people... Uh, say that you know it's very difficult to change things when the physical habits but what we can do is to put in the right habits right from childhood that was the whole idea of sanskaras that right when a child is uh, still growing fix a little time habits patterns time time is a rhythm so that's why to build patterns according to time it works it helps to have a certain fixed time for everything but this fixity can take away plasticity. This is the big problem. But that's an evolutionary problem. We can talk about it later. Then the second knot. One is the body's knot of gross ignorance and unconsciousness. Consciousness is completely bound there. So whatever it has released and fixed a pattern, that pattern stays. And perhaps that's why once something gets settled in the physical, it's very, very difficult. And below the physical is the subconscious. That's where the real knot is tied. It's like somebody has tied things. That's why things which are rooted in the physical are very difficult to uproot. For instance, two things which are natural in, of course, um, in an average humanity, but we have to get past them as we, you know, evolve further. Uh, food, sleep and sexuality. It's rooted so deeply in the physical biologically this is very difficult to uproot it because it is rooted in the very matter and so it becomes very difficult the moment matter changes into life the first thing that appears is the capacity for reproduction it could be asexual reproduction but the tendency to extend itself and that becomes very difficult because it is rooted in the very cells the not just survival, survival but extension of your consciousness it has many ramifications so Vital nature operates by desires and desires create patterns, habits, another kind of habit. So one is because of ignorance and obscurity of matter where consciousness is completely lost at the vital nature where it's slightly liberated and it breaks, tries to break free from the physical but it doesn't create um, something very great, of course very great considering matter which is completely tied. 
So there are possibilities which emerge, but they further tie us to our entire vital nature. And its movement, characteristic of vital nature is desire. And because of desire, certain action, reaction which follow in human beings, it takes the typical pattern of running to satisfy a desire and then momentary pleasure followed by the waning of the pleasure, followed by needing the pleasure again, so the desire once again pricks. You want your quota of joy. People call it joy, but pleasure. So you go. After some time, just like our Lakshmi, there is no pleasure. And still, the vital desire pushes us, goads us, pricks us. And habitually, mechanically, one gets bound. So this is the uh, situation and then it brings more and more frustration all drug addicts it ends up like this drugs alcohol initially it is a seeking for pleasure so vital is seeking for pleasure so it uh, for that it in ignorance its movement is desire so because of this desire takes us to some momentary immediately something which gives pleasure so one repeats that thing again and again and after some time though it no more gives pleasure Yet one gets tied. Sri Ramakrishna used to give a very beautiful example. That you know this um, camel, it eats those little branches, twigs of trees which are very thorny. It hurts, it bleeds, but it eats. So it is something like that which happens to human beings. Desire, it is a very difficult groove to come out of it. Though it frees us to an extent from the total dull grey obscurity of matter. But it sets in another pattern which often blunts our instincts at the same time becomes counterproductive. Then the third knot is the knot of the ego which comes with the mind. Viewpoints, dogmas, opinions, belief systems, all these, they further tie us. For instance, in an age, now in today's time, the belief is that if you are sick, Consult a doctor. He may or may not be a healer, but a doctor who prescribes certain medicine. This belief that allopathic science, its way of study, is the ultimate truth. So, the mind brings these dogmas, these beliefs. We saw its full and free play during the recent corona crisis. And then, other higher possibilities are dulled. So, the mind creates a further knot. So there is this story in the Vedas of this person called Sunship who is tied by three knots. He is a being on the person who is put on stake as a sacrificial lamb. We don't even realize it, how these three knots tie us. So there is a knot which ties his head. It's a knot of the ego. And it is so stubborn. It is so stubborn that people even when they realize that they are wrong, deep within, they will not let go of that opinion. They will hold on to it. Even when they are shown reasonably that, look here, this is your fixed opinion. Believe it's not supported by any rational argument. Even forget about other things. They will still hold on to it. Why? Because this mine, my belief, my opinion, I'll hold on to it. So it, it is so stubborn and tight knot of the ego. That's why we see quarrels. People quarrel. Because they want to stand by this point and they are not able to see that there could be other ways of looking at it. There could be, if nothing else, try to find a synthesis. It requires a certain degree of evolution. And um, the result is that we get further bound. So habits of thought, opinions, beliefs are equally often more harmful because that is a master controller. So you see, left to animal, when they get hurt, what happens? They heal most of the time. And if they pass away, they pass away far more gracefully than human beings do. They fall sick. They are, you know, I have seen this, uh, our favorite dog, poor Diana. So, you know, she fell sick. Probably somebody had poisoned or whatever, most likely poisoned. And she had paralysis. She couldn't walk, tried everything. But, you know, but I have seen till the end, her eyes had the same kind of kind, gentle look. which was so beautiful to see those eyes. It never, it, the sense of suffering that we would feel 
Eventually, somebody took her to the vet and she died there in the vet hospital, which was a sad thing. And, you know, we wanted to give her a decent burial and all that, but I believe they do it in their own way. So, this, because the mind was not interfering, she didn't know these words that this is a paralysis, this is poisoning. So, her body was adjusting, but otherwise she accepted this natural course and natural cycle. But our mind comes in and brings in completely new elements and binds us to things which need not bind us. And we hold on to these beliefs. Tell a doctor that, you know, there are other ways of healing. Medical doctor. They are very kind, gentle, nice people. Till you challenge their views. The moment you challenge the view, the ego of a professional is very hard, you know. You can't, uh, why a doctor, even half a doctor? You know or I know? So, I sit on this side of the fence. But I often felt like sitting on the other side and say, Doctor, it is my body. I know a little bit about my body. I am supposed to know a little bit about my body. So, this is how the mind fixes us. So, Shuna shape is tied with one knot which is here. A tight knot. And what are these knots? Nothing but patterns. Nature, put yourself in a groove and that's how it ties you. Same thing at the desire level, middle knot. Third is the knot of matter. And first knot is created by nature itself. The other two knots we create by our thoughts, feelings, actions. So that is called the knot of karma. Sounds very fantastic. But what is knot of karma? You do something few times, it becomes a pattern. And then nature has a tendency to put you back into that groove. I don't know whether, I'm sure some of us must have played Beggar Tail. Very fascinating game. So you have to uh, put these round little pellets into some holes where you ultimately get, you know, right below is that hundred where you get maximum points. So it's an art to reach there because there are several and you have to do it just by this. Like carom if you have to do it. So initially it's very difficult. But after some time your body is, something happens and you learn that process. When you have learned that process, it becomes so easy to do it. And that's what, you know, is all, I mean a game is all about. So these are the three knots that tie us. And um, then the karma, repeat a thing repeatedly, it becomes a habit. This is a well-known thing. But what really is karma? Karma is not just an outer action. Outer action supported by a certain vital energy and it is supported by a certain kind of mental thought. Let's take an example. If my mind believes that life is only for enjoyment, for sense pleasure, so there is this thought behind. So what I should normally do? I must live life just for the sake of seeking pleasure, very natural. So my mind is justified, my vital naturally seeks it because it looks up to the mind as master and the mind says, go ahead. There are kinds of philosophies that actually preaches this. And then the body is a poor instrument, it just, you know, continues to act. So it's not the action, it's that force which is behind operating, which is what is the knot of karma. Shobindo reveals it very beautifully in essays on the Gita. Action and events have no importance in themselves. But for the uh, idea force that operates behind and the idea that the force is there to serve. It is so, when we go deep behind, we realize that what really binds us is the state of consciousness. It is that consciousness which operates in a certain way that our mind gets certain thoughts, our vital, you know, seeks in certain ways, our physical body's instinct operate or don't operate. So at the end, we realize that it is the knot of consciousness, which actually is the root of all other things. And nature has tied this knot of consciousness very intelligently. But there is a way out of it to open these knots. And of course, these are the knots. If we go still deeper, we'll see all these chakras which we speak about in Kundalini. Basically, all the universal energies nature has fancifully but with the wisdom. It has created patterns. And these patterns create what we call as the frontal individuality. And we believe this is me and therefore I remain subject to what I believe myself to be. 
So this is my belief in my limitations that makes me what I am. So one of the first thing towards change is to change this orientation, to change this belief, to change this idea that ego is myself. That's why in all change, it will begin with this shift deep inside. So wherever we try to just manipulate things outwardly, it is a very, very temporary, even if it remains for a long time, it is still very temporary, unless there is a shift inside. And the classical example is, in military or police, you are trained. You are trained to be extremely disciplined. And one is disciplined. And yet in the war zone itself, you see, all soldiers all over the world are extremely trained and disciplined. Not just about, of course, Indian soldiers have certain Indian values. But still they are trained and disciplined. There are ethics, code, norms of the soldier. But see what happens to a soldier when in a war situation, you suddenly your instincts can get let loose. Suddenly that same power that makes you conquer a battle begins to dominate, possess and all kinds of evils can start. Simply because this training is purely at the outer level. There is no shift that has taken place in the consciousness. And I can give you one example which um, I felt so beautiful going to Gangtok. Those of us must have gone. If you go to Nathula Peak where there is uh, Indo-Tibetan border. So Tibetan border is that side and there is the Indian border. And as you climb up, even in Latak there are places you find. As you climb up, to the Indian post. I am not sure whether it has been done consciously or not, but something very beautiful is done. So you have several writings from the Gita, scriptural writing, very beautifully placed, very nicely, you know, into a kind of board. And they are, as you climb up, by the time you reach that peak, you there is a shift inside, which is what is important. Otherwise, purely training and retaining like behavioral people do without change of consciousness, it will invariably that energy, that consciousness which is still at the same level, will throw up the same pattern in another way. So, to from a practical level, say in a disease situation, you have uh, suppressed the disease or apparently controlled the symptoms. But what has happened? The consciousness is not changed. This is the last, the real not. If consciousness is not changed, the same little consciousness will push energy in a certain direction, certain ways, and it will impact the body. And you will see that the body is, uh, you know, another disease has appeared. Doesn't it happen? You control one, then another, then another, and they are like clusters that come together. So therefore, if you really want to understand uh, how habits form, we have to understand it on the basis of the consciousness. And it has its plus and minus. As I said, good and bad is a different thing. There are many good habits. And we can inculcate good habits. There is something wonderful. Good habits are not all bad. But it also means that any habit and every habit also ties us. Even a good habit ties us. Even a good habit of thought can tie us. I will never harm anyone. Injure anyone. Karna, good habit. Every morning I will get up. Whoever comes first, I will give him gift, generosity. So it's a good habit to give things, but it ties up. Therefore, we see in the Gita, when Sri Krishna speaks of freedom, he says, going beyond the dualities of sin and virtue, good and evil, because then only you can be completely free. So to conclude on one side, there is this entire material universe and the physical nature which is tied by habit and material nature has done an admirable job even in the obscurity when, you know, when early humanity which is closer to animal, life of Tarzan, like that if you see, this, these habits, they don't, they are not, they, they are counter-revolutionary, I mean they fix you, but they are good things. But as... Nature allows a certain degree of freedom within limits. We see that there are these instincts are lost and we create new patterns. That's why the law of karma gets applied when mind and vital come into play because we create new patterns. There is a certain degree of freedom. So what is the remedy? The remedy is not going back to the animal level of instincts. That's not possible. 
The remedy ultimately is to complete this evolutionary curve. Once we have taken the journey to be even as the gods, we must complete it. If we remain tied to our present animal human existence, we will probably tamper the surfaces. But because there is no radical change inside, we will only shift the malady from one type to another. This is the larger picture. To summarize, three knots, physical, vital and mental. Physical knot by sheer obscurity and unconsciousness, behind which a consciousness is acting. That's why you see, when in the material level, there are such wonderful instinctive things as habits. Then there is the vital knot, the knot of desire, and it keeps every living species running and chasing things, hunting for joy in the heart of pain, if you want to put it poetically. <laughs> so it hunts for joy when it enters and by the time it catches its slice of joy, it realizes it's in a heart of pain. But then it, can, it is in a situation where it can neither let go of the joy because with great difficulty it has found its morsel. But at the same time, if it doesn't do that, it is locked in a heart of pain. That's also there is a wisdom that operates behind it. And the third is the knot of the ego, which where the mind divides, cuts things, fixes even of my own limits, my personality, and thereby it binds us to certain patterns and habits. To get free, we have to go beyond and behind. We, we have to unlock the doors through which nature has tied us and we have to complete the evolutionary curve in which we are caught right now, midway. So this is the overview of the knot of habits. If there are questions, most welcome. Namaste. Namaste, Da. Um, you mentioned about uh, the vital desires. So my question is that sometimes when a vital desire comes, it camouflages itself very well. It is very deceptive. And also the mind also supports it in rationalizing it very beautifully. So I, in those moments, there is a part of me that has a doubt that this could be it. But then uh, it is very overpowering and I'm not able to maybe uh, check it at a very early stage. So what is, and then mind beautifully rationalizes it later. So how to check it early and have enough willpower or convince myself better that why this is not right? So it's a very beautiful question except that you can replace the word sometimes with very often. <laughs> and in most people, this is the difficulty. When uh, in the initial stages, the mind is a slave of the vital desire. So most people actually do not even reach this point where you are trying to understand why the vital desire is there. Is it really desire or need? Uh, even to distinguish or try to discern. Most human beings instinctively justify it. So the fact that you are able to, you are trying to discern and, uh, you know, uh, discover it's itself a very good sign that you have crossed that first step, which is the most difficult step. The second step is that how to know whether it's really a desire or it is something which is true, which is, you know, it can be. For instance, a movement of the heart. There could be true love springing from the depths of the heart. There could be a very surface emotion from the surface uh, personality where one has leaped at appearances and, you know, feels one is in love. But it may be a purely surface, uh, uh, you know, uh, emotional vital because here we, we see these two layers operate. There is the surface uh, emotions and there is the deeper heart of emotion. So how to know it is, uh, first we should know it, recognize it. Now, mind comes much later, justification comes much later and we'll talk about it. But first is to know whatever causes restlessness uh, is coming from the surface. In most human beings, the two are mixed. That makes it even more difficult. A movement from the depths gets mixed on the surface. because It has to pass through the door. So even in a true movement, you will see that restlessness of desire gets mixed. So what we have to do, our job is, the mother said very interestingly, uh, see justification is a different process, but we can purify it, refine it, and we can extract that ingot of gold, 
which is hidden behind every movement of nature including desire behind desire also there is an ingot of gold say for instance somebody is driven by ambition it is uh, obviously a very uh, in fact it's as dangerous as lust that's how shubhendra the mother put it so what is behind the movement of ambition the behind the movement of ambition is to rise be have name and fame uh, you know in whatever area now how to change it not that one gives up ambition says no i'll not do but one can change the urge or the ambition or the energy for ambition into the pursuit of excellence let me do better whatever i can do and this better can take us right up to the spiritual perfection because to truly do a thing better yoga karma sukha aslam one has to engage with yoga so that's why in the gita there is a very cryptic word desire based on dharma so there are desires which are there is the second thing one can do is one knows it is desire one doesn't justify it we don't have to justify oh it is something good one knows it is desire but one uses it for evolutionary purpose even that is possible as the mother said one i give this example quite often because somebody told me directly that when a lady went and approached mother and said mother what do i do when i you know when love comes to me she said never uh, you know suppress the energy of love or destroy it refine it and purify it so meaning thereby there is the desire but how to refine and purify it that's the whole process we have to engage in when we refine and start purifying we may discover that it was nothing it vanishes simply because it was a pure movement of desire the moment you try refining desire will refuse it doesn't want it wants justification it wants to do its own way the moment you say no hold on not your egoistic satisfaction let love remain and lust go away you see if it is pure desire or a pure desire i mean just a movement of desire it will drop away wean off other way to wean it off is just hold as as i said delay the gratification that's another way because desires are like that they, any impulse it goes like this it reaches a peak when you have no you know you are driven but if you just allow sometime it will wane off that's how it works but of course if there is a habit it will tend to stay longer or it will again and again come but that's how desire operates so one way is to learn to just step back and i quite understand that will doesn't often operate but as far as will is concerned it only gets strengthened uh, this way or the other way only by practicing it's like muscles so one can delay the gratification i mean i'm taking an example now of eating rasgulla so you feel there is a great for eating rasgulla it's harmful so delay postpone it and the postponement can be anything like immediately after food no i'll wait for half an hour if possible then i'll eat little little amount so you are basically every little training to the will is a welcome thing and the second is that link the will constantly to the divine so mother i am not able to get rid of it but one must sincerely try not like <laughs> so one tries and then offers it tries and offers it tries and offers it uh, several times one will see one has come out but again one tends to fall but that's how the journey is so one has to first step one see whether there is restlessness in the being or not that must be quieted uh, after quieting the restlessness see what remains if there is still a movement in a certain direction it is not independent of the pleasure you may get from an object then possibly you are touching the core of something true and beautiful and then even there one has to be very cautious so any urge to gratify it may veil itself under several uh, disguises you rightly say postpone it when you postpone time begins to reveal the truth of things that's why we have this great uh, wonderful saying that samay batayega time will show so that's why in olden times it used to be don't rush say with regard to marriage and i do believe that nowadays children are wiser it's not like parents they fix kar diye you get married they date now i know i am saying something uh, even they live in few years then they realize no 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 this is not the choice i made so okay you have lost few years you have gone through a difficult process but you have learned and grown but imagine you are stuck already there are three knots now you have tied a seven fold knot of marriage 
and you don't know what to do you can't undo it imagine how risky the thing is so it's always good to wait for time to reveal if you can do it by uh, you know not taking that step beyond which it becomes very difficult to disengage then it is better and if you have taken that step then go through the process learn and grow i remember pranav das said something very interesting to a, to a girl who studied here and you know she went through a lot of painful things uh, with regard to her marriages and she once uh, told me pranav das had told me i said what did he tell you he said i went and asked him that should i get married or not he said if you don't get married it is best otherwise you delay as much as you can <laughs> so so don't rush into things just train the mind and the vital not to rush into things that immediate rushing uh, if one can do that and take the help of grace it takes time but eventually it will settle down one learns and grows by experience that's how one knows that the mind was justifying it very nicely neatly it gives a cover so always to remain open that there is a possibility as you rightly said maybe my, my mind is giving all the justifications and that's how one go, grows and finally of course the uh, real answer lies in the psychic being which alone can tell us whether this is a true movement or not but till that happens at least let the buddhi the discerning intelligence that remain active it is like a sleepless vigil and if you keep a vigil you will see very interestingly you are feeling that no no this is something very divinely ordained but if the vigil is there you will pick up a movement a sentence a and you will know that this is not it you are caught and even you may know that there is a mixture and you will try to get rid of the mixture and keep the pure little drop of love with you so one has to keep a vigil not just completely lose hold so people who have habitually learned to step back to keep the buddhi active so even when they are slipping in they will pick up those signals that well this is it this is not exactly how things should be and they tend to change it's a long process the knot of desire is not so easy but yes with persistence some desires one can easily get rid of but some are more difficult to get rid of so one has to keep on practicing with the bhyas the solution comes yes does um, anyone else have a question uh, i just have one more question um alokta uh, do you think the physical nature is ultimately only controlled by habits even though it could uh, you know even the higher uh, even if higher principles are operating in it ultimately it is only going to be habits that will control the physical nature or can we imagine anything else for the physical so far so far it is controlled thus as the gita says yantra arunini maya it is driven as a fly caught on the wheel that's how it is driven and as i said there is a reason why nature has done so i am talking of the physical uh, habits now again as i said uh, but there is nothing like a purely physical habit let's say uh, as shrivindu writes in one of his aphorism that the problem of uh, you know the difference between man and animal is that uh, animals do certain things in season but man does it in and out of season of course he has said in context of even god makes the fool in season but man <laughs> plays the fool in and out of season but it is so true see uh, when animals eat when animals mate they are moved by instincts and they do it in season and within that also there are checks and balances which are amazing like for instance in lions in elephants why there is no incestuous mating what blocks let's say when a lion comes of you know age 3 years 4 years is young adolescent why doesn't he actually mate with his own mother what prevents we call it as an animal there is a particular checks and balances within nature which operate but with human beings because the mind comes and desire comes it breaks those uh, those things in in the physical nature and brings it its own dogmatic things and its own desire which creates more confusion so ultimately yes the physical has a preserving tendency and this preserving tendency is so strong 
that unless there is a very strong impulsion as you know in human beings especially with the mind it 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 remains where it is and we can further strengthen but from the evolutionary point of view now why i'm saying so is because what we call as physical habits in human beings they are no more purely physical habits invariably things have come in which have corrupted the file even as a young child so the food we eat it's already corrupted by the time we are 5 6 7 ambition already the seeds are sown though it looks like physical sexual habits at a young age you know now it's no more physical but its roots are in the physical so even when you throw it out from the mind and the vital the physical roots are there so they'll spring up again and they will capture the vital and the mind again because that's how the whole circuit works so it become very difficult without a doubt but the higher consciousness that's what shurabindo says can completely uproot it and this is not only uproot it can even transform it because behind every movement there is a secret truth and this has been you know not only my experience experience of uh, many of us in different different areas that the higher consciousness is the consciousness of freedom the higher we go the more powerful and you know the freedom is much more it's like internet changes the way we and operate life here so the solution lies in uh, tapping in the powers of the higher consciousness that can change it so on one side we till that happens we can say that kutte ka push tedha nahi hota but vedantik thought cannot do it because it gives you knowledge but not power and that's why in shobindra yoga we have the divine mother but the divine shakti can do it because nature is emerged out of her nature is a frontal appearance so the divine mother and her shakti can do it but purely that vedantic knowledge it cannot do it because uh, you need power to change an operation of nature knowledge can liberate us it can say i am not this i am not this it can weaken the knot uh, you know put it in its place but it cannot overpower or change or master it one need shakti for that and even to receive shakti is a preparation physical nature doesn't even receive shakti that's why the mother speaks about training the physical body making the physical consciousness receptive even one the mind is open to the higher ranges and the higher vital accepts you see that first chapter of the mother the lower vital and the physical and the subconscious still remain unchanged so one has to uh, work at this end also to make them more open and receptive so it's a long process no doubt nothing it's like nothing like french made easy or greek uh, translatable greek it takes time but one has to follow that path if one is destined to do it or one has the calling for it because every single person's victory will facilitate everybody else it's like the 100th monkey principle if each one conquers a habit within oneself even a little with the help of the higher consciousness it will facilitate it in 50 others so some are destined to do it have the calling for it so they would do it like in the laboratory some people shut themselves up in the laboratory and want to work in because it's not just an individual habit it may look like individual it's supported by the entire universal nature you can't fight against it so easily you throw it out as shubhendu says it goes in the subconscious or the environmental consciousness it comes back again but if one can win even a this much dent it helps everybody else so here again i take it like this that there is a tipping point each individual who is engaged in yoga for a long time you may see there is no breakthrough coming and one day suddenly the iron wall collapses uh, she gives the example of that uh, chick being formed inside the egg for a long time nothing is changing on the surface but the chick is getting ready and when it gets ready feels stifled then one day the mother hen has to just do a little peck and it flies out and each time an individual conquers a little thing nature accepts the possibility see that's the other aspect so nature says okay it is possible i let it go. so it signs a document okay fine those who want to go this way they can do it you see mother said something very interesting once one of her experiences that she saw a huge snake guarding the wealth which was captured by the asuras and 
now we know you know where all this wealth went so she uh, so very interesting she looks at the sea and sees you know things which are coming from the subconscious which is all i don't want to make it so specific you know what is it called black gold and things like that anyways so <laughs> she asks him that you know this wealth is needed for divine purposes she says i won't give uh, i can give way to you but the asuras they will kill me so she asks what is the condition he says she says there is a condition with which you can get this wealth so what is the condition you can get it back from the asuras provided there is a complete mastery of the sexual impulse and then she says something very interesting she says i said well that condition is not easy because while individuals have conquered it while it can be conquered there are people who have conquered it but he wanted in the large section of humanity this is that has not yet been realized when that happens wealth will come automatically because wealth sexuality and uh, lust for power they are all interconnected so uh, each movement that we think is individually supported by a universal plane and that doesn't that takes us to the cosmic dimension of these habits it's not just my desire and your desire behind desire there is a whole energy which is operating in the universe so cosmic powers which help and hinder which uh, so that's a different story altogether like in sunna shape story it is god varuna who releases the three knots vastness that's why human life is a battle and we have two options one is to say okay i'll remain where i am life remains how it is uh, there's not a good option to be a slave and the other is i'll strive for freedom whatever time it takes and knowing very well that maybe others are not doing it but my little step towards freedom will free many others so these are the two options one can choose thank you sir